The Healing the City podcast is a ministry of the Village Church in Tucson, Arizona. If you enjoy the Healing the City podcast and wish to support it financially, you can go to villagersonline.com, click the We Give tab, and follow the instructions. Thank you for listening and enjoy the podcast. All right, welcome to Healing the City. My name's Eric Seepin. We're in part two of the, I would say, a conversation about um, with, uh, Daniel Quinn's, right? Mm-hmm. But that's his name. Yeah. Uh, Ishmael with Ron Brown. This is the Book of Paul, part of the Healing the City uh, Collective. And we're kind of going to jump in now to a little bit of an examination of Genesis um, from uh, maybe a little bit of a different perspective and sort of, uh, yeah, well, I'll just turn this over to Ron, let him continue if you you should listen to the first podcast so that you know where he's going with stuff. Definitely. And yeah, maybe when we're done, I'm done this part, you can give some other interpretations of of the sections of Genesis that we've spoken sure, about sure. here. That would be great. One of the very cool things about this uh, um, is that, y'all, like, so for example, in a future episode coming up in the near future, I'm going to do another interpretation of Cain and Abel that I got from Jordan Peterson and apply it to a certain type of modern problem, specifically what many students are going through today. And so... You'll see then that that's an example of a single section of the Bible being able to communicating wisdom in multiple ways. Anyhow, go for it. Yeah. So let's start. Um, So just to review briefly to catch everyone up. um, The purpose uh, of this series, this podcast, a big part of it is to show non-believers that there is incredible knowledge and wisdom that can be found in the Bible. Um, And you don't have to believe in, in Christ to see the wisdom and value in this. Um, and so I'm talking about the first time I'd ever seen this, which was when I read this book, Daniel Quinn's Ishmael in 2008, I read it as an atheist activist and my mind was blown by the wisdom that was found in the Bible as it cited some key verses. Um, so let's go back. So what we're going to do today is we're going to talk about how the agricultural revolution was told, uh, was discussed or referred to in Genesis, and then we're going to tie it all together. So just to review, um, in Genesis, it was said that earth was created for us to subdue and populate, uh, a position that is completely consistent with agriculturalism and the, the, the taker lifestyle. But on the other hand, and this is where it gets weird, God disallowed us from eating from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, which is weird because why give us dominion of a planet and not let us have the wisdom to run it well? And why tell us not to sin, but then forbid us the knowledge of good and evil? Which, which, by the way, that question came up this morning, so let's Mm. give a date on this May... 29, 2022. 20, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Okay. That's that's close enough. You can find the morning sermon and somebody asked the questions about this. So continue. Right. And then also it's like, why is farming portrayed in a negative light? Like it was a curse. You know, it was presented as like, this is a bad thing. This is your punishment for disobeying me. Um, Like, shouldn't it have been glorified? It's like, this is a way to truly subdue the earth sure, and make sure. it serve our population growth to the best of our abilities. Right. Like if anything, it's holy work uh, by that line of thinking. Likewise, why did God reject Cain, the farmer's crop sacrifice, but accept Abel, the herder's flock sacrifice? So what's going on here? Like, is God pro taker or pro lever? Because it certainly sounds like, you know, maybe he's talking out of both sides of his mouth. 
and 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 in rapid succession too, because these parts of the Bible are like they're on the same page. Um, so here's Quinn's way of resolving this dilemma. These stories were not authored by uh, takers by you know tri- taker tribes. The creation story was cre- was written by a taker tribe, uh, but the stories of the fall and Cain and Abel were created by leavers. So this is why we are told that the earth is ours to subdue and populate, but are forbidden from obtaining the wisdom we would need to do that, to run the world well. It, it, would, it makes sense of why God treats farming as a curse, why God accepted the nomadic herder's sacrifice, but not that of the farmer, and why God was so angry with when Cain killed Abel. So proceeding... The killing of Cain, of Abel by Cain. This can be taken as a direct allegory to what, was, what would happen every time an agriculturalist tribe would need more land and start bumping into the land of a uh, nomadic uh, tribe. So the, the land that they were staying on temporarily. What would end up happening is, so when you have a population that's... Um, growing because if it has a you know it's farming produces more food so you get more population eventually you need more land because more mouths to feed and more people to settle you need more land and eventually you start bumping into other tribes okay so there you have basically the story of cain and abel and like we have cain being a a farmer abel being a herder and cain kills abel and 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 god is very displeased um so going back again, why does it matter that Cain and Abel are the first two naturally born humans? I said that was going to be relevant, and it is. Um, basically, they represent the branch point at which point some humans split off from, the, from other humans as, west, as well as the rest of the community of life. This was the birth of the agricultural foundation of the world today, um, and, and, and history is treated sort of like as if it began then, um, with the thousands and millions of years, you know, before that, just being referred to as this sort of prehistory that's very foggy and fuzzy and that we don't really talk about too much. Uh, the next question is that I want to answer is the question of why was Cain cursed to be forever wandering for farmable lands as the ground he, um, that he, that he farms will be cursed and unproductive. So let's look at this ecologically. If you have an increased population, if you, if you increase the food supply, you're going to increase the population. Um, when you have an increase in population, you have a further increased need for food, um, which makes you have to farm more, especially if you're, not, if you're not moving about, if you're staying on the same plot of land. This leads to the need to over-farm your land, which results in the depletion of the nutrients of the soil, which will produce declining harvest yields, which will result in the, the need to find new land because the land you're on does not produce as well this year as it did five years ago because you've over-farmed it the last four years. And so that's why the farmer will be, to an extent, forever wandering. All right, so now let's go into original sin, human nature, and culture. So the Bible and many people in, uh, generally view humans as being inherently flawed in ways that other species are not. Um, 
Daniel Quinn disagrees with this. He does not believe that we are inherently flawed. He doesn't think that this flaw in ours is innate in our biology, but he views it as being an aspect of culture. Um, we don't realize it's an aspect of culture because the culture we're talking about has spread so widely that we can't really see an alternative to it. It's like a, a good way of when people figure out is something cultural or biological is the idea of universality. So smiling seems to be a universal because no matter what culture you're, you're in, it means happy. Um, so in the, and in this case, it certainly looks like humans are innately, you know, destined to farm because everyone in the world minus like a few hundred thousand people in like some tribes in like Papua New Guinea do this. And we never talk about those people. So everything we see, doesn't matter if it's a communist country, a capitalist country, an Islamic country, a Jewish country, we're all doing it. Um, but the thing is, is that human, humanity, it's been estimated, has been around for roughly 200,000 years and our ancestors for, you know, millions of years before that. But large scale agriculture only started about 10,000 years ago and... Now already, so that's that's a very small pocket of time. We had a system of life that was, for the most part, pretty stable. Like, you know, it looked like a meteor hit the earth at one point, but basically it was pretty stable. And now within 10,000 years, a relative eye blink in the terms of, like, you know, like geological history, um, you know, we're, we've, we've had environmental damage that is, you know, broadly viewed as a threat to the... the, the the sustainability of life and we're also having increasingly dangerous militarism so it's amazing that we there was you know we were levers for all of our history and things seem to be going relatively fine and then we change to this new lifestyle and things start getting risky very quickly so the last section i'm going to get to is knowledge of good and evil versus eternal life pick one so the idea is, is as i mentioned earlier it was said that once Adam and Eve ate from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. They were kicked out of the Garden of Eden so that they could not eat from the tree of eternal life. Now, that seems kind of contradictory because wouldn't the knowledge of good and evil help prolong your life? You'd think it would. But so here's Quinn's view. He thinks that when Adam and Eve ate the apple of knowledge of good and evil, they didn't actually gain the wisdom of the gods. They merely thought they did. And so this gave them a high degree of hubris of self-confidence in their beliefs. Uh, and that would allow them to confidently play God. Because when you think that your ideas are not just your ideas, but when you believe that they are just objectively true, it gives you a license to enact them and, and to start making decisions such as which species get to live and die, what plot of land will be uh, dedicated to what, um, which tribes and lifestyles get to survive, and so forth. So they didn't actually gain the wisdom, but they gained the confidence that comes with having the wisdom. And so as I mentioned before, um, so here's where the, why you can't have the tree of good and evil and, the, and eat from the tree of eternal life at the same time. You don't actually have the wisdom, and so you act as if you do, which results in you confidently making mistakes. And as I explained earlier, with law, when you have one style of life basically conquering all others, you lose biological and ideological or behavioral diversity, um, which results in us, uh, the, the community of life in general, being less able to adapt to change, which results in us being more vulnerable to broad scale extinction, because if we're if we're all uniform and the world changes and, and we can't handle it, there's no second option. All we have is, is us and our way of doing things. 
So we made and we made these changes very broadly and uh, and and very quickly. And so I guess the final piece of wisdom would be, and this is something that Jordan Peterson would talk about, um, when something has worked in a stable way for a long time, it doesn't mean it's the best way. But you should be very sort of you should fear God. You shouldn't go in making changes willy nilly. You should be very humble when you do it, because what you're you're trying to improve upon something that's been tested for a long time, that's produced a stable uh, situation for a long time. And you're and you're making changes. You don't know what the unintended consequences are going to be. They may even be death. Yeah, that's good. Um, so let's let's just try Let's try to do a little bit of a summary here. So um first off and we can work our way backwards i think maybe would be good uh so you were saying that uh, there's this connection particularly between cain and abel uh abel being a herder so he would be a lever right yes That's, and cain being a taker right um a farmer yeah um and so you're making this connection ten thousand years ago or so we have this division happening all of a sudden we have agriculture taking off and taking over and so what's happening is that that creates a larger population, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so when you have a larger popula- population, you actually push people against their ecosystems and against one another, mm-hmm. right? And because you begin to try to store for winter, you're not moving from space to space. Populations aren't smaller, right? And so um, the argument here is you can see that uh, there is within the Old Testament, in particular in the story, maybe this idea that not that there's a value system, but that the world might have been designed for takers, I mean, leavers mm-hmm. in a sense, right? Uh, people who are work intertwined with their world. Right. And so um, and that's one of the cool things, too, about the, uh, the idea that maybe these books were written by or these sections were written by different tribes. Because on sure. the one hand, you have the Bible starting off by apparently strongly encouraging us to become farmers. Yeah. And then not long after, it's almost like it's um, the this is the herders looking from the outside at the farmers and saying, you guys are trying to play God. Sure. Right. And the the whole killing of Cain and of, of Abel by Cain that basically is like, and you're killing us, and and God, you know, God shows our sacrifice over yours. God's on our side. You're right, evil. We're good. Right. Sure. So this yeah. is the one way of looking at it, um, which is good. Um, and then your argument too about sin is that there is, in a sense, and this is part I really like. I think this is probably the better of what you've been talking about is. Uh, that eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, getting a curse or not getting a curse, we can talk about that in a minute. But the fact is that hubris, pride, is the thing that is the cultural contaminant. Right. right? So you begin to think that you are better than everyone you know. It's not just right. that you understand something, but now you know something better. Right. And you can, and you can then utilize that and use it to create a division. Yeah, like what's more arrogant than saying who gets to live and die. And then right. also as time goes on, basically telling the rest of the people either, either live the way we do or, sure. or get snow plowed. By yes. Us. Yeah. Yeah. So, so this is, uh, for you, I, I guess I'm kind of curious because you started out in the first podcast talking about how important this book was to you mm-hmm. and helping you. But I think what you're saying is that it helped you make some connections to the Bible. 
it, for you, just as an atheist, when you were an atheist, this when you read this book. Yes. And so connected you to the Bible, and you said some things to me on the phone that maybe you could talk a little bit about. It's just uh, you began to realize that the Bible was an essential book in a sense, or a book full of wisdom, even if you didn't believe in God. Like, kind of what was the process there? Well, so, you know, I, I read Ishmael for the first time in 08, and since then I tried to read, a, read the Bible a few times, but I quit each time after, like, 100 pages. Um which means you read the Genesis account a lot. Exactly, right, exactly, <laughs> exactly. And so, but that was the first time I had seen really important information that I, tracing back to the Bible. And it makes sense that they were telling it in, in, a, in a story form because it was sure. a pre-literate society. They had, stories are easier to pass on or remember in an yeah, oral culture. Yeah. Um, but, the, but then I, I think the big thing after was uh, Jordan Peterson showing over and over again these bits of wisdom that you can be gleaning from the Bible if, you've, if you read it non-literally but metaphorically and right, allegorically. Right. Yeah, and you really, you like that the, the, that was very helpful to you. Mm-hmm. Um, but so I think what I'm hearing you say is that this idea of the just the interplay between basically the agricultural community and the nomadic community is played out in scripture for us a little bit. Yeah. That's what you're saying. And now it's pretty cool. And it kind of, it's cool. Like these are the first two, like allegorically speaking, in, or like if you're a literalist, literally speaking, these are the first two naturally born humans. Right. And, and, and it, it, it's like almost like in a way, like the way we implicitly treat things is that like sure. history began at this moment, like sure. all the other stuff, it, like it counts, but not really. Yeah, like it's pre, it's not history; it's prehistory. Right, right. So what's that mean? It's also history. It's just that we don't view it the same. Right. Well, we can't make claims about it. Yeah. as much. And 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 yeah, and um, that's part of what uh, Daniel Quinn refers to as the great forgetting. Right. Yeah. Okay. So even like the prehistory, the the creation story is kind of a bit of that prehistory, kind of coming down into the right, right. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's, it's really fascinating. I think the argument you're making is like, look, no matter if you believe about God or not, like this is a fascinating history, a piece of yeah. history that can help you begin to think about how you interact in the world, right? How you treat the world, how you treat people, how you treat culture, how you treat the planet itself. Yeah. And like as an atheist reading it, like it wasn't like religiously significant to me. It was like this was this unbelievably radical reconstruction of of human history of our place in the world of our worldview about our role in the world and our sure. and all that stuff like it was flipping upside down things that i took for granted that didn't even think to think about yeah yes. and so it's like and i would say that you know other than the evolution of humans this has got to be the most significant moment in human history sure and here we have the bible telling us about it yeah yeah that's that's pretty cool um, so one of the things we talked about at the beginning is maybe me just giving you a little bit of, of alternate thought through mm-hmm. some of this. So uh, do you want me to do that or? Sure. Okay. So just, just a couple of things that would be interesting. First off is you, you address the creation part and we're given these, these edicts, which there are three things that happen here. One, it tells that we bear God's image. So we're given a family name. Like we are, we are set apart from all other beings. By having an we become icons, right? We're, in fact, I've heard one theologian say we are the idols of God in a positive way, right? Okay. In the sense, we are the the moving, acting representations of God. Um, like we're his um, crowning jewel, or yes. something. Well, yeah. we're his image bearers. So, yeah. what we what we do and bear and feel that that's God. The second, then we're given the be fruitful and multiply. So we're given a job, 
and we're you know and we're given uh, t- tasks. So that's kind of how we're kicked out in, into this. Now, a couple of interesting things to answer a few of your questions about why did God do some of these things. First, Eden, and you know, I may there may be a few Hebrew scholars who disagree with me, but I, I think I stand on pretty good grounds. That Eden means nursery. And so there is this sense that however we understand the story that's being told, that, that Eden isn't the final thing. Eden is the nursery. Um, and so usually with tr- children, you, you teach them to obey. Mm-hmm. In fact, if you go into the New Testament, it even says Jesus had to learn obedience. Like he had to be trained as a child to, to be obedient. And so kids have to be trained the same way, right? We, we have to learn um, so there's the the no, do not touch the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Um, to to address the the we we can address the idea of original sin and and we can talk about a couple of those things. Um, but why just to look at the curses really fast mm-hmm. and in particular, if you look at the garden, man and woman are given the same tasks and the same they stand next to each other. In fact, when Adam, when Eve is created, it, it literally means like he cut Adam in half. They stand side by side. But then you see the curses, like there's an order that's made. Um, and so now the woman will be given to the man, like she'll find herself yes. in a power struggle with him. Um, now, what I think is interesting about the farming, I don't think God is against farming. In fact, I think subduing the earth is part of it. But now, if there were no curse, if we were, if we obeyed, the farming, we'd be in cooperation with the animals, so we wouldn't be against them. We would be in cooperation. We would be in cooperation with the earth itself, but now we're in complete opposition to the earth. So the way, Daniel, just to interrupt you really quick, it's it's not like we're in cooperation. It's not like we leavers are in cooperation with the rest of the earth, but uh, Daniel Quinn, he refers to basically a set of rules that every species except for modern humans. So even like lever humans follow this set of rules. The only ones that don't are modern humans. And the rules, he calls them the peacekeeping rules, which basically are that, okay, you can, any organism can, for example, compete against other organisms uh, to the very best of their ability. Um, they can defend themselves. Um, they can defend their resources. Like if they, if they kill a deer to eat, they can defend that deer from other animals coming to take it. But there's a, but the big rule that they have to follow is that it's like, you're allowed to battle, but you cannot wage war. If someone comes to take your deer, you can battle them, but yeah, but you can't go, for example, let's say like, um, a bear is coming to take your deer. You can, you can try and defend yourself with your tribe against that bear to get, keep the deer, but you can't go killing all bears around sure sure right and so it, it so that's the idea of like um and that's what, kind of what sure. we do that's and, I, we and do, I, yeah. would, I would just say without the curse that wouldn't be there the bear, bear wouldn't try to take your deer nor would you be taking the deer uh, but that's i i think you would i don't know if there would be hunting of animals but we that's a whole nother mm-hmm. thing because how do we feel about death and all those kinds of things within when in the narrative um but yes i i get what you're saying so all I was saying uh, is that the curse doesn't necessarily, the curse changes the way we relate to the earth. Mm-hmm. So we would have been relating in cooperation. Now we're in re- relating in resistance. That's what he's telling mm-hmm. Adam is, look, you're going to deal, you're, you're, the ground's going to resist you before you'd plant yeah. and it would grow. You find a, some sheep and you, they would just prosper. Now they're going to resist you. Now you're going to have to, 
you know, mm-hmm. reach into the cow and pull it out. You know, everything's going to be difficult for you to deliver a calf, to do all these things. They're all going to, they're just going to be uh, an intensive, even in labor, a woman's labor is yeah. going to become intensive. So anyway. So let me just give me one second. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I just want like, gosh, that was the, this is the hardest podcast we've done so far for me. It's it just, it's so heavy, but I just, I want to like tie things together a little better than I think I might've done sure. 10 minutes ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we ate, we were given the earth. Mm-hmm. According to the Bible, right? We were there's one rule: we cannot eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Yes. Or if we do, we shall surely die. Yes. We ate from that tree. Um, Quinn's idea was that we didn't actually gain the wisdom; we basically just gained arrogance. Right. Right. And but we did. So, but, but so let, let me just finish that real quick. Yeah, yeah, real yeah. Quick. Go for it. All right. And so the whole surely die thing. Well, look what's happening. You know, we have greatly reduced biological diversity and uh, lifestyle diversity, which makes us increasingly susceptible to threats that can come from environmental change, such as, for example, what happens with, you know, like things like global warming, that's going to create changes. Yeah. So, so again, theologians would say that when we ate from the tree, knowledge of the tree of good and evil, sin did three things. So it distorts, it distracts, and it devours. So distortion is a biological thing and an ecological thing. So death came to the earth and death came to man through the tree. Um, and so it has distorted us. The distracting part and the devouring part are the parts that have to do with things that we've talked about in other podcasts with our will and with things like that, that um, we're not really talking about mm-hmm. at this moment. Other than Cain and Abel, um, they, they you know, killed each other or one of them killed the other. Interesting. So there's so there's that part of it. The interesting part about Cain and Abel is if you go through and read this, so Cain's line dies with in the flood. Right. Seth is the next child and the Seth line leads into Noah. And no and really where God gets upset is when he looks at the earth at Cain and Cain's descendants are just mm-hmm. pretty messed up dudes and hmm. people. And so he's like, My spirit is no longer going to like I'm not gonna Allow, I'm not going to sustain man's life longer, right? He's going to cut off how long they can live, and he floods the earth, and basically Noah becomes the new Adam, hmm. right? So we have, an, and it's in Adam's line, Seth, and so yes. and, and it maybe makes sense that they're they're a little bit messed up because sure. they just like they have gone against biological and cultural evolution in a very massive, broad sweeping, incredibly rapid way, and like. There are a few things you can do that are riskier than that. To go against something that has worked for a long time with something that, that you know, like you're the it's like you're the guinea pig, right? Right. What right. are the odds that your idea is going to work out as well as you think it's going to? Right, right, right. Well, I like one of the things that you you said, and with we'll the back and touch on this is just that hubris is really it's so hubris is Satan's issue, right? He he thought he was better than God. Um, he invites human beings to think they're better. Right, and that's that is the the process that happens within the garden. What, what I think, I mean, there's a lot of you got me talking about one of my, my favorite things. There's a lot of questions like why is there why is the snake that is able to uh, speak even aloud into the nursery? Like, why does God allow a, I, mm-hmm. my I, one of my more favorite you know uh, storytellers slash theologians, Andy Wilson, talks about the dragon in the garden, mm-hmm. and his argument is look like without a struggle and without resistance, right? Without a fight. But we're created to be that way. That's who we are. Adventure is part yeah. of the image of God. 
it's part of creativity it's it's part of that so there's this the, the it's not just that there's a freedom for choice there's a, a an opportunity for human beings to truly bear god's image by saying no like this is what god does god does not does not want us to do this and so therefore we won't do it and you can't tell us to do it like we trust god we don't trust ourselves um, that's when we probably would have been free to then leave the garden is when we stood up to the dragon basically and said, no, you don't get to tell us who we are. God tells us who we are. And then we would go step into the wild world and maybe human history would be different. And, and Peterson might say, you know, the idea of like wild, like as Ricky Gervais once said, I don't want to have a go at God, but I think the snake was a mistake. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Anyhow, um, but the, the, what Peterson might say is that, uh, and he, he literally has said something exactly like this, is that no matter how much you fortify yourself, sometimes the enemy is in the house. Yes. Right? right. So it's like you can be wealthy, well protected and all sure, that kind of stuff. Sure. But if you're deeply neurotic... Well, the enemy's in the house, yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah, no, that, that's true. Yeah. And, and that, that's a good way of thinking about that. Um, yeah, so the Cain and Abel thing is interesting because uh, there's probably some unwritten history that we don't know about, but probably Abel and Cain knew what the proper th- the sacrifice was. There seems to be in the language and the conversation with Cain that Cain knew what he was supposed to do, but Cain chose something else hmm. because Cain wants certain amount of approval for the things that he's doing. Um, and so he, I mean, some, yeah, it's, it's, it's just interesting. Even the historic history of sacrifice and, and what that means, like grain sacrifice versus killing an animal for a sacrifice. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously the animals are killed for the clothing for um, Adam and Eve. So there's some interesting things going on there to, to talk about, but um, yeah. So who, what I think is fascinating about what you've been talking about and, and what, you know, I mean, there, there's a lot of varied opinions about, about Ishmael in the book, but I think what's fascinating is no matter what you believe, if, if, you know, because one of the things I think is I do believe in a literal garden and I do believe in a literal flood. I do believe they happened very differently than probably we think they did. Um, but I think, you know, and, and this is where Michael Kuzno would help us better, but Hume in the 1800s, it's like, we can link things back to this, like, this doubt of the myth, like the myth can't be true because of science, right? If we can't prove it, we can't, you know, nail it down, then the, the, the myth isn't true. And so we begin to doubt things. But I, I think, well, no, I, I think for, for a very long time, myths we know can be told over and over again, and they tell us something true. Myth is just the way we tell it. Like mm-hmm. you said, it's, it, it's shortened. It's a way that everybody can remember it. Um, I think the complexity and the length of time of the garden was probably much longer. And I think a bunch mm-hmm. of other things happened in the garden mm-hmm. and we just don't know about it. So, I mean, because that the story would be too long. We want to remember that. Mm-hmm. Well, it's kind of like you can tell the story about the boy who cried wolf, or you can sit there and give a, an item by item cause and effect relationship about why lying is not a good idea. Well, it's like sure. the, the story about the boy crying wolf is a much easily, more easily remembered thing, and, and kids will get it much quicker. Right, right. I, that's, I think that's true. And I heard another good example, just yeah. even this book. Uh, so I, I heard an NPR interview, like I told you on the phone a long, long time ago. So when you said, have you heard of this book? I'm like, I never read it, but I heard the author be interviewed. 
So I'm like, oh, we're we going to do a podcast on this. Well, I just jumped on and, well, it wasn't Spark Notes, it was Cliff Notes, but I was quick read, read through it. So, like, I, at least I know a little bit of what's mm. going on. Well, that's kind of the myth of Ishmael in the sense of that somebody shortened it and told it as a new narrative about an old, a longer, more complex story, right? And in some ways, that's what you've done here. A lot of mm. people will not have read the book, but they'll have some idea now about what you're talking about. Yeah, that's, I think that's interesting. And I just hope, and I'm doubtful, but I hope I've done it some level of justice. Like, this is the subject matter is so heavy and like there's so much stuff i left out that i would have loved to have talked about but we'd just be talking forever if i did sure well i think the question you know is what okay i'm a guy who doesn't believe that jesus was god doesn't believe that god created the world but there is this book and it does tell me some stuff Mm. and it seems uh, you even heard elizabeth warren saying this that like Religious people, we want to be religious people because we have values. There's some values that come out of this that are important. And I'm wondering, as you read this book, and in particular, as you looked at, like, for instance, Cain and Abel, Adam and Eve, and this sort of taker lever, like, what, what, how did it change you in a way? Like, what did it, how did it change the way you interact in the world, the way you think about things? Um, So I think it kind of helped made more make more sense of things like why things like depression and anxiety and violence and and all kinds of uh antisocial behavior are so common we're not living the way that we evolved to live you know our society you know our societies are so big like we used to roll in tribes of like 100 150 people and that's a tribe big and you know, it's small enough that every member of the tribe knows every other member of the tribe. The leadership is very close to every one of the led. Whereas, right. you know, our society has grown to the point of, you know, billions of people. Like, I, I, I could not meet Joe Biden. No. But if I was in a tribe, I could meet the president there. That's, right? that's very true. That's and, very true. And so it's like, that's like we moved away from what we've evolved, <laughs> you know, we, 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 you know, and then it's like, we don't live among the same people. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like, like, look at me. Like, I'm Canadian. I'm from here. Uh, I moved here. All my family's up there. A lot of my friends have scattered all over the place. You know, it's like, that makes life harder when you don't have this lifelong network of people. Yes. Yeah. And so it, it kind of helped me make sense of, like, we evolved to live in a way that's much different than this. Mm-hmm. And, and now we don't live that way. And I can see direct cause and effect relationships as to why the change in lifestyle could cause us to be so maladaptive and and, 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 and unsettled. Right. And so let me ask you one more question and then I'll give an example of what you're saying. But so really, and maybe you can clarify because you read the book. So it seems that the levers, you weren't trying to make environmental statements, Mm -hmm. but because of the smallerness and, and the way that there, that seems like, those who are nomadic tend to not overuse the land, not, you know. Yeah. So in thinking about how a nomadic person would operate, did that kind of change the way you think about uh, the world in itself? I mean. Not really. Well, because the whole thing, it's like as I'm reading this, this book and everything, I'm like, okay, this book is making stunningly good points. Uh, I, I can't see any reason to disagree with it. But I have no interest in going back to the forest. (laughs) No one would be less adaptive than me there. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I was trying to get maybe at the values that that, uh, a a lever would have. Like, um, did that kind of get at you at all? Like, okay. Because I think a lever, what it seems to me is that a lever takes care of things a little bit more. Is more conscious of what he's doing. 
is not less is less committed to like mass survival or, or well so I don't like I I don't want to say that weavers are like better people like yeah, more moral or, better, or, yeah, or more moral or whatever yeah, yeah. it's. Like I think, um, it's first off, their scale is so small that even if they do a bad thing, it's it can only do so much damage. Yeah. But then also, like it just the, the societies, the, their little tribes, they work different than our big societies yeah. in so sure. many ways. Like everyone knows each other. Uh, you know, this is the one family and one tribe you're ever going to have because it's not easy to go join another tribe. You might not even speak the same language. Okay, so then maybe because what you said, application wise, is you you know, you, I'm thinking through some of this. And maybe even thinking through some from an Old Testament perspective, there's this clarity of like, okay, well, we've gotten to the space where we're depressed, anxious, kind of violent, up, pushing up against each other, mm-hmm. right? All these things that are of the flesh, the Bible would say. Um, and some of it is like, oh, there's kind of a long reason, like a, a reason that goes all the way back to the beginning of the first two people, right? So how does that I guess my question is, okay, so what am I supposed to do with that if I, I'm, I'm just you know, average Joe guy who doesn't believe yeah. in God? And how does that change my life? What am I supposed to do? I was worried you were going to ask that question. <laughs> like, so Daniel Quinn has ideas about this, um, but it, it's like I don't think they're pragmatic. Well, what about you? What are your ideas about this? Um, what, what were your ideas? Well, so for one example, it's like one of the benefits of religion is that like we live in a, commu- a society where community is broken down. We move, we don't know our neighbors, we don't stay at the same job for very long, um, all that kind of stuff. Community has fallen apart. Church, or the mosque, or the synagogue, that is a that is a community in a world that is starving for community. So you basically are encouraging a, a little bit more. Like tribalism, in a sense, in, in positive tribalism, like yeah, like okay. intercaring. Uh, so get into a community that has a value set that is geared towards caring for each other, exactly, and yeah. sink into that, even if you don't agree with all the premises, right? Because it will benefit your life. Uh, yeah, and you'll benefit, and it's it, but it's bi-directional. Like you want to be giving as much as you're taking. Sure, uh, sure, uh, sure. At least as much. Yeah, none of those are really interesting things. My suspicion is. Is that a bunch of people who listen to this podcast are going to absolutely disagree with you or want to ask questions or whatever? It's fine. I mean, none of this is, you know, um, the village isn't saying this is what we believe or anything like that. This is a conversation about how you can look at scripture from an allegorical perspective. And particularly if you're not a follower of Jesus, this can help you get in the door to think things through and, mm-hmm. and it'll benefit you, even if you don't come to a place where you're like, yeah, I believe all this stuff. Um, right absolutely yeah so if you've got questions or you're like hey like this is all very interesting but i'd rather hear you know ron talk about this then send us an email at healing the city at gmail.com and say hey ron talk about this instead and we will see if ron wants to talk about that um or maybe you've got a set of questions you'd like to ask ron um particularly because he spent a long time you know being an atheist kind of being opposed at some level to christianity and so at a huge level at a huge <laughs> yeah. level okay, at a huge level yeah. so so thinking that through you know in some ways you're getting a uh front seat um kind of conversation and experience of someone who has moved from um unbelief to belief and is in the process of you know analyzing the past coalescing things in the present thinking about the future so it's a it's a fun little you get to be part of the experience and the ride so 
Thanks, John. Awesome. Yeah, I think this worked out. You've been listening to The Book of Paul with Ron Brown and Eric Siepen. If you like The Book of Paul and the Healing the City podcast, then like us on Facebook and Instagram or email us at healingthecity at gmail.com.